It is great to be here. I'm excited to share um, the word with you. Let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll dive into this. Father, we love you. We thank you, God, for all that you have done for us, all that you are. And Lord, we thank you for your word, and I pray right now that your word would go forth in power and through the ministry of your spirit. Um, Lord, we thank you for the work that you have been doing in Ireland with Ted and Brenda. We pray, God, that you would continue to use them and pour them out in a way that um, would be refreshing to the people who are there, and Lord, we do ask that you would get them home safely. And when we just give you this time now, in Jesus' name, amen. You know, my wife and I enjoy watching um, those home makeover, home renovation shows that are on HGTV. How many of you enjoy watching some of those? Some of the guys don't want to raise their hand because it ends up your wife going, we should do that, and you end up with a home project, right? Um, But we enjoy those. And you know, that whole thing started in 2003 with the home makeover extreme or extreme makeover home edition. Remember that? Ty and the gang would usually find you know, a house and a family that was in need, and they would come, and they would do this incredible renovation on their house. And then when it was time to do the unveiling, remember what they'd do? They'd park that big bus in front of the house, and then what would they say? Move that bus, right? And the bus would go away, and everybody would be like, oh, wow, yeah, that's incredible. That's amazing. And You know, that was the start of the whole thing. Today, there's like 77 of these type of shows out there. And here's some of the lineup on HGTV. And if you watch any of these, just raise your hand as I mentioned. How many of you uh, watch Property Brothers? Okay, a few of you. How about um, Fixer Upper? Yeah, Flipper Flop? Uh, What about Rehab Addict? Some of you are raising your hand on everything. (laughs) House Hunters, how many of you do that one? Okay, how about Good Bones? No. How about Boise Boys? Anybody? Okay, you should watch Boise Boys. You know why? Because those two guys are Christians, and a lot of what they do goes to help um, orphans. So you should check those guys out. But anyway, that's just a small snippet of the shows that are out there. But we love watching those transformations, right? It's amazing when you see this house, you know, and all of a sudden it just gets, you know, radically transformed. And afterwards you're like, wow, how did they do that? Well, did you know that God is also in the makeover business? I mean, we're talking extreme makeover God edition. Because what God is into is the ultimate transformation in our lives. And it's a transformation that involves not just our outward actions, but our inward attitudes. It's a transformation that begins on the inside, but then is reflected on the outside. And that's what we have before us today in the passage that we're going to look at here in Ephesians chapter 4. I'll begin reading in verse 17. Follow along as I read, Paul writes, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. 
who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you would put on the new man which is created according to God in true righteousness and holiness." Therefore, putting away lying, let each one speak truth to his neighbors, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin, and do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need." And let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. The book of Ephesians is divided into three sections. The first three chapters have to do with our identity, who we are in Christ. It has to do with the wealth of the believer. And it's in this section that Paul introduces us to terms like that in Christ we are saints, which means we've been set apart to God. That in Christ we have been redeemed. That in Christ we are adopted into the family of God. That in Christ God calls us his workmanship. His, his poema is the word. His masterpiece in the making. That's the focus of chapters 1 through 3. And Paul will use 16 of those such statements about who we are in Christ. Chapter 4 begins the second section of the book of Ephesians that has to do with the walk of the believer. Chapter 4 gets very, very practical. And then the third section is found in chapter 6, verse 10, through the end of the book, which has to do with the warfare of the believer. But in this second section where Paul begins to address this idea of our walk, he begins, if you look at chapter 4, verse 1, by making this exhortation, he says, walk in a manner worthy of your calling. And that word worthy is very significant. It's a word that that speaks of weights and balances. And what Paul is describing is if we were to put your, your manner of life, that's what he means by your walk, your manner of life, if we were to put your manner of life on one side of the scale and then your calling or your identity of who you are in Christ on the other side of the scale, that they should balance out. That in other words, that your manner of life should be equal to your identity of who you are in Christ. You see, Paul believes that new birth should result in new behavior. That new life should result in new living. That a new lifestyle should result, or new living should result in a new lifestyle. 
The idea being, since this is who you are in Christ, this is how you should live, or this is how you should walk. And, and he begins to talk about, in this second section, about how we should walk in unity, and how we should walk in love, and how we should walk as children of the light, and how we should walk in, in wisdom, and how we should be those who walk in the spirits. But in the passage before us today, the big idea is this, that we should have a walk that looks different from the world. That we should, we could sum it up in this way, that we should be who we are in Christ instead of who we used to be in our flesh. That we should be who we are in Jesus instead of who we used to be when we didn't know Jesus. Let's look at verse 17 again. He says, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk. Everybody say, no longer walk. That you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. So he's saying that you used to walk this way, but, but not anymore. That you should no longer walk as the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves. So no conviction. They just have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with all greediness. So Paul says, look, this is how you used to walk. This is how you used to be. This is who you used to be, but no longer. He says, you used to walk in darkness. You used to walk in ignorance. And that idea with that word ignorance isn't talking about not knowing something, but it's really the idea of ignoring or oppressing. That you know the truth, but you just ignore it. You oppress it. The Hosea put it this way about the people of Israel. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because they rejected knowledge. It wasn't that they didn't have knowledge, but they rejected the knowledge that they had. Paul said, this is how you used to be. And it resulted in lewdness. It resulted in uncleanness. Those are two words that speak of of sexual immorality and sexual perversity. And I want you to note that Paul attaches those two ideas to greediness. And the reason for that is because that's really what sexual immorality is about, is it's about greed. It's using someone else for my own pleasures. The city of Ephesus was a highly pagan city. It was a metropolitan city, a large city, but Ephesus was known as the center of supernatural and paranormal activity for the worship of Diana, this this goddess, this multi-breasted goddess. And it was a sexually deviant place. It was steeped in sexual sin because this temple of Diana employed a thousand temple prostitutes who every single night would go out into the city recruiting new members through sexual practices. And archaeologists have discovered or uncovered that they believe that there was an ancient brothel that was attached or connected to the tunnel, or excuse me, to the library in the city by a secret underground tunnel. 
So this enabled men to commit adultery by going to the library and their wives would think they were hitting the books when in reality they were going through this tunnel into this brothel to engage in sexually immoral practices. That was this city. The temple prostitutes, the sexual, you know, made the sexual possibilities in in Ephesus a breeding ground for the sailors that would come in. And it was the the type of place that, that Ephesus could have the same mantra that we know of today. Hey, what happens in Ephesus stays in Ephesus. That was the type of place that it was. And this was the type of place that these people that Paul is is writing to, these believers, they had come out of that lifestyle. They had grown up and they had been accustomed to and a part of these pagan practices. But Paul says that was before. And maybe for some of you, that's your testimony, that you came out of a wild lifestyle. You came out of a lifestyle that was just, you know, impacted with just living for the flesh and living for pleasure and living for yourself, but no more. You see, notice verse 20, Paul says, but you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. I want you to note here, Paul doesn't say that you did not so learn about Christ. It's not what he says. He says, but you did not learn Christ. And this phrase, to learn Christ, is an unusual phrase that is used nowhere else in the New Testament. The word learned here is didasko in the Greek. And listen, it means to teach a student in such a way that the will of the student becomes conformed to the teaching that he's taught. The idea is it results in a life change. And so Paul, in essence, is saying that your coming to Christ wasn't just about the assimilation of truth. Yes, it involves that. Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. But then he added, and he who the Son of Man sets free is free indeed. You see, it's not just about the assimilation of truth. It's about knowing the Son of Man. It's about knowing Jesus. You see, it's more than just the intake of information. Christianity is more than just the intake of information. It's the impartation of life. It's not just about believing something. It's about becoming something. It's about becoming a follower of Christ. Another way that Paul could have said this is, he could have said it in this way, but you have not so experienced Christ. It's about an experience with Jesus. You know, a few weeks ago, I was down in El Salvador teaching at a pastors and leaders conference there in San Salvador. And San Salvador is a big city. I mean, it's like being in downtown San Diego or downtown Los Angeles. A lot of traffic, a lot of people. And one day, they they were taking a group of us, about 12 of us, in this minivan from our hotel 
to the church where the conference was being held. And on the way, they were going to stop at this chicken place, kind of their version of Kentucky Fried Chicken so that we could have lunch. So there we are, we're driving in this van and and we're in bumper-to-bumper traffic and then all of a sudden the driver turns down this one-way street and there's the lines on the street, you know, like you have in your parking lot going, you know, this way and you might think, well, what's the big deal about that? Well, he turns going the wrong way into, into incoming traffic. And I'm starting to kind of freak out. Like, what is he doing, you know? And everybody else in the van is really, really calm. And, and he's driving down this road. And it's weird. No one's honking at him. I mean, all these cars are coming. No, they're, like part, they're like clearing the way so he can drive, you know, like the parting of the Red Sea. And, I, and, and then he, you know, goes about a block and turns it into this driveway to take us to this, this chicken place. And, and I asked, I said, why did he do that? That was a one-way street. And they responded by saying, well, traffic laws down here are more of a suggestion. (laughs) I responded, that's not how I learned driving, all right? In America, traffic laws are not a suggestion. We don't turn the wrong way purposely on one-way streets. Well, that's what Paul's getting at here. He's saying, that is not your experience. It used to be, but it's not your experience now in Christ. You see, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ here today, Jesus has rescued you from all of that. You're a new creation in Christ. The Bible says that old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. You have been imparted with the very life of Christ who is living inside of you by his Holy Spirit. And so because you have this new life in Christ, because you are a new person in Christ, a new creation, Paul wants us to know that a new man needs a new wardrobe. Look at verse 22. He says that you would put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to deceitful lust and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Now we know our mind is renewed by the spirit of God working through the word of God to do that work of transformation in us. In verse 24 he says, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, Paul uses an interesting analogy here the idea of taking off an old coat and putting on a new one. Why? Well, you've been made new. You've been made new in Christ. You've been made clean in Christ. So he's saying, live like that, act like that. Think of it this way it's a hot summer day. You're doing some yard work out in your backyard. So you're out there and you're getting dirty and your clothes are getting dirty and you're sweating because it's hot out here, you know, in Temecula where you all live. And and, and so you're getting hot and you're getting sweaty and and you're getting stinky. But now you've got to go somewhere. You know, you're going to go out to dinner. And so what do you do? You go into the house, you take off all those dirty, stinky clothes, you get into the shower, you wash off. And what do you do after you've dried off and you get out of the shower? What do you do? You put on new clothes, right? You put on clean clothes. 
How weird would it be if you put on all those dirty, stinky clothes all over again and said, okay, I'm ready to go. And your wife would be like, no, you're not. You're not going out like that. People wouldn't want to be anywhere near you. No, a new, a clean man needs clean clothes. And Paul's saying a new man needs new clothes. You're a new creation in Christ. So put off the former ways of life. Put off that former conduct. You're no longer living how you used to live to please your flesh, but now you're living to please God and to honor God. In Colossians, Paul puts it this way. Put off the old man and actually put on Jesus. That that's the idea. Now, I know a lot of you, you're thinking, you know, Pastor Rob, I, I've done that. There's been that change. I don't do the things that I used to do. Yeah, I used to be one of those guys that partied and did all that stuff, and that was my manner of life. But I've changed all of that. You know, I've replaced you know, that stuff with going to church and going to, going to Bible studies. There's been a change in my life, and that is awesome. That's amazing. That's to be commendable. But you know, in those home makeover shows... Sometimes, in some of those shows, here's what happens. There'll be a family, and they're going to come in, and they're going to do a makeover on their house. But because the family is cash-strapped, because they can't afford to to, to do the whole renovation, they're only going to be able to do part of it. So what do they do? They focus on the part of the house that people see. They focus on the outside, and they change the outside. They, they focus on you know, the areas that people are going to come into, the dining room, the living room, the entryway, the, the kitchen. Those are the areas that they're, they're going to focus on. And oftentimes, the, the more intimate areas of the house, like the bedrooms, they get left undone hopefully to be done at a later time. My wife and I were watching one, you know, one day where um, it was a two-story house. And all they did was work on the bottom part of the house, the part of the house that people were going to see. But the whole upstairs, where the bedrooms were, none of that was touched at all. Well, you know what? Sometimes that's what we do. Sometimes we have the tendency to focus only on the outward appearance, the outward change, what people see. So that we're no longer living like we used to. We're not caught up in the blatant sins and and blatant stuff that, that we used to do. But the problem is there's still unseen stuff, heart stuff, the intimate areas that have gone untouched. And we're still a mess. And we're still holding on to things. And my point is this, we need to not see carnality or carnal living as only the blatant outward sins. But if we're honest, that's, for many of us, our tendency. Carnality means of the flesh or of the old man. And listen, I can, be, I can live carnally when I hold on to mindsets and attitudes that are not healthy. 
Because you see, Christ's likeness is not just about not doing wrong behavior. Christ's likeness is, is about becoming a new person. And Jesus is wanting to impact our mindset and our attitudes and heal our hurts and change our wrong attitudes and actions. That God is in the business. This is his end game, I like to call it, for every single one of us. Romans 8.29 is that he desires to conform us into the image of his own dear son. And here's why this is so important. There are large segments in the church today in this church, of young people who have grown up knowing the Lord. They've grown up. They they got saved at a young age. They haven't experienced life of going out and partying and being involved in immoral type of stuff. There's also people who have come out of a religious background where they were very, very moral people. Maybe that's some of your story. And they didn't live, you know, immoral lives. But the problem is, people can still be in a place where their lives are marked by the old man. Because what they're doing is they're holding on to inward stuff. They're holding on to attitudes that shape their mindset and their perspective of other people. They're holding on to hurts that keep them in bondage to bitterness. They're holding on to shame that keep them in bondage to bad behavior. They're holding on to pride that keeps them in in bondage to things like anger and wrath and a mentality of thinking, you know, I deserve to feel this way. But God is wanting to do a total makeover on us. And listen, church, our God is not cash-strapped at all. He has the ability to complete the work that he has begun in us. In fact, Paul would say that very thing in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. So here's what Paul does. Paul moves from simply addressing the outward behavior to addressing the inward attitudes. Look at verse 25. He says, Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. He's saying, look, you you haven't just been given a new identity. You're part of a brand new family a new humanity, the church, the the people of God. And I want you to notice here that Paul moves from saying put off the old man and put on the new man to now in verse 25, and he'll repeat it again in verse 31, he says, and put away, put away. You know, we've all seen those radical transformation pictures when somebody has gone through an extreme weight loss. You know, they weighed at one time 450 pounds, and now they're down to 200, and we see the before and after pictures. What what does somebody do? What's one of the first things that somebody does when they drop that kind of weight? They go out and get new clothes, right? They get a whole new wardrobe. And what do they do with those old clothes? They give them away. They burn them. There's a finality to it. The idea is, I'm never going back to that. 
You see, most people don't save big clothes because they don't want to go back to that. Now, I have some clothes in my closet. I have some pants that I wore when I was thinner. And oftentimes, you know, we'll hold on to things, right, that, that we, when we were thinner, like, you know, one of these days I'm going to get back into those, you know, right, right? I got some pants. I'm like, one of these days, I've had them in the closet for 10 years, but, you know, one of these days it's going to happen, right? That's what we do. But we don't hold on to the, the, the big stuff. Because there's been this transformation. It's like, man, I don't want to go back there. Well, you and I have undergone this extreme change that God has done in our hearts, that God has cleansed us of our sin, and God has put his spirit inside of us, and God has made us his children. So Paul says, therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth to his neighbor, for we are members of one another, and be angry and do not sin, and do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Now, this is interesting. He says, be angry, but do not sin. Did you know that anger isn't a sin? Anger is an emotion. Anger is a a reaction. Anger is what happens when we see an injustice or a wrong or, or when somebody hurts us, that our reaction can be one of anger, but anger can become a sin when it's harbored, when it's held on to. And when it's held on to, anger turns into bitterness, and the Bible warns us about roots of bitterness that cause many to become defiled. So Paul says, be angry and don't sin and don't let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. That phrase, nor give place to the devil, is don't let the devil get his foot in the door. It's like in those cop shows, right? You know, they come knock on the door and the bad guy opens it, sees it, the cop, and he's going to shut it, and they put their foot in the door. Well, that's what the enemy wants to do. He puts his foot in the door of your heart, but know this, he doesn't just want to have his foot in the door, he wants to come all the way in, he wants his poison to infiltrate who you are, those roots of bitterness. So Paul says, don't give place to that. He continues, verse 28, let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. In other words, replace taking with giving. He says, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Remember Jesus said, it's out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. And Paul is saying here, replace words that tear down with words that build up. And then he says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. This is a very interesting phrase. Because once again, notice he says that he's speaking of something that has happened to us. He says, you have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. Being sealed with the Spirit was a mark. One of the things it symbolized was a mark of ownership. You see, in those days when, when they were going to ship a crate to you know, some other part of the country and they'd put that crate on the boat, they would stamp a seal that was the, signi- the, the sign of the, the person who owned it. It was the mark of ownership. So that when they knew when that 
crate, when that ship and that crate on the ship got to the other port that it was going to, that seal would signify this is who it belongs to. God says, I have placed my mark upon you. You belong to me. You're blood-bought. You're my child. You're my son. You're my daughter. I have marked you with my spirit. I've placed my spirit upon you. And Paul says, you're mine. And don't grieve the spirit. Now, a lot of people think of the Holy Spirit as a force or a power. The Holy Spirit is a person. He's the third person of the triune Godhead. And Paul tells us here that he can be grieved. So what grieves the Holy Spirit? I think one of the things that grieves him the most is this. When saved people live like unsaved people. When free people live like they're still bound. When people who belong to God act like they don't belong to God. Anybody here who is a parent understands this. You know, we get grieved when our kids don't live up to their potential, right? I'll never forget when I was in the first grade. It's a report card day. I got my report card. I'm walking home with one of my buddies, and I look at my report card, and I was so excited because on my report card, I had straight little A's, and I just thought that was amazing. My friend said, how'd you do? And I said, I got straight little A's, and he's like, little A's? I've never heard of that. Let me see that, and he says, Rob, these aren't little A's. These are D's. You got straight D's. Well, when I got home and showed that to my parents, my parents were like, this is awesome. Let's put this up on the refrigerator. Let's celebrate. They were like, they sat me down and they said, you can do better than this. We know that you're smarter than this. We expect that you, you're smart enough to get A's and B's. And then they held me back in second grade. <laughs> they really did. Um, <laughs> Because I wasn't smart enough, and I, you know, it took me getting put back to, but anyway, that's a whole other story. <laughs> or think of it this way. How would you feel if your son or daughter, your teenager, comes home one day, they, they ring the doorbell, and you go answer the door, and they're like, can I come in? Can I come in the house? Like they're asking for permission. And what if they started, you know, is it okay if I get something out of the refrigerator? Is it okay if I go, you know, to, to my room? Can, is it, can, I, can I use the bath? That, that would, some of you, I think, that would be awesome to have them be that polite. But most of you, I think, are thinking, that would grieve you. Because what's happening there? Your son, your daughter is acting like they don't belong. They don't, they're not a part of you. And in the same way, that's how God feels. He gets grieved. When we who are his children don't live and act like we belong to him. When we don't live and act like those who he has done a work in our hearts. You see, again, Paul's point is, I want you to be who you are in Christ. Instead of who you used to be in your flesh. You used to be alienated from God, but no more. Now you have been brought near, so live like that. So he continues. Let's wrap this up. He says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ 
has forgiven you. He says, look, I want you guys to treat each other the way I treat you, the way I've treated you. Now, I will say this. This work of transformation is a work in progress. We're all a work in progress. I like to tell our church that that we're not perfect. We're a bunch of broken people who are in the process of being redeemed by a loving redeemer. All of us are in process. This process that the Bible talks about is called sanctification. That idea of being set apart, being transformed. It's, a, it's an ongoing process that God is doing in our lives. But you know, you know the best results happen when you and I are willing participants. I want to close using again this analogy of the home makeover. Not to beat this analogy to the ground, but I think this is interesting. Because you see, oftentimes in those shows, you'll see the renovation expert saying to the owners, they'll say, okay, I got this idea. I want to make this dining room bigger. Or I want to make this kitchen bigger. So we're going to blow out this wall. This, this little bedroom here or this bathroom, we're, we're going to take this out. And make this a bigger room. And when, when, when you're done, man, when we're done, you're, you're going to love this. We're going to take away this closet, this junk room, and it's going to be so much better. Now, as they're describing it, oftentimes I'm sitting there going, I, I can't picture that. I can't picture what they're going to do. Oftentimes the homeowners are the same way. They're like, they, I, I, I can't, they can't picture that. They can't see what the expert is seeing, but they just have to trust them that they have the skills and the resources to pull it off. And sometimes they'll even say, you know, we want you to be a willing participant. Be here tomorrow and we're going to tear down this wall together. And you see them there with their goggles on and their sludge hammers. Well, in a similar way, your heavenly father says to you and I, I want to do a work in your life. And my work, the work that I want to do is not to make you a better version of yourself. Oftentimes that's what we think, right? But he says, no, I want to make you like my son. But in order for me to do that, this has got to go. I got to take this out. I got to take this away. I need to remove this this attitude. And God says the same thing to us. We may not be able to see it, but he says, I need you to trust me and to know that he has the ability and the resources to pull it off. And he invites you and I to be willing participants in the work that he is calling us to do. And the way that we are willing participants is by responding to the conviction of the Holy Spirit when he speaks to our hearts. When he is moving us to go in the direction that he wants us to go. And that's how that transformation happens. Now you guys as a church have just gone through recently a major renovation your own extreme makeover you've moved from you know the the school to this property 
And you've built these buildings, and it's beautiful what, what has happened here. It's beautiful the work that, that God has done in this place. But I want to just tell you, remind you, that this is not Reliance Church. This is just the place where Reliance Church meets, right? This is, where the, this is the place where Reliance Church gathers to then be sent out into the world. So the question is, how is Reliance Church going to be reflected in the community? Well, it's going to be evidenced in the change that is happening in the hearts of people who are a part of this church. And I want to just pause here for a moment and say, Pastor Ted did not ask me to teach on this. He wasn't like, man, I got some people with some bad attitudes in my church. Can you, can you address that? He didn't, he, he didn't say that, okay? But I will tell you this. God put this on my heart to share with you guys because I believe with all of my heart that God wants to do a radical work through all of you in this community. But that is only going to happen as you as a group of people individually and then collectively are yielding yourself to God, the extreme makeover who wants to do that work of molding you and shaping you so that as you go out into this community, you are reflecting Jesus to the people who are around you. And that happens again as you allow the Holy Spirit to say, you know what, Rob, this attitude needs to go. This thing you're holding on to that's been been hindering you from really being and experiencing what what I want you to be and experience, you've been holding on to this and it needs to be let go and it needs to be let go today. And walk, you begin to walk now in the newness of life. To walk in the transformation that I have supplied for you. That's what God wants to do in each and every one of us. Amen?